Remain standing if you would, if you're able to, up on your feet. <laughs> it's so good. You guys are boisterous this morning. Man, it's just good to be in the house of God. Can I get an amen from somebody this morning? As we prepare to open the scriptures, we remember that we are not the first people to believe these things or to read these texts. So one of the reasons that we take the ancient words of the Nicene Creed on our lips is that it anchors us in the reality that we're part of a community that doesn't just go around the globe, but it also stretches back thousands of years. And so this is our faith together. Let's say it. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, He rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. If you agree with that, say it real loud. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Matthew chapter 6, if you have Bibles, I'll invite you to turn there. We're working on a series on the Lord's Prayer, talking about praying with Jesus. What does it mean to pray with Jesus? And Jesus gave us this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, which we say every Sun, almost every Sunday around here, and in most churches around the world and down through history, they have said this prayer every Sunday. And the prayer is not just kind of a poetic bit of something that the church does out of ritual or routine, but uh, this prayer really is a window into a vision of reality for us. And as we talked about in the first week of the series, that first line really sets the agenda. Our Father who art in heaven, that we are calling together on a God who is not just a nameless power out there in the cosmos, but He's our Father, He's our Dad, and He's closer to us than our very skin. He intends good things for us. And in week two, Pastor Tim Shepard was here, and he took us into that first petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is, Hallowed be thy name, that the thing that the church cries out more than anything else is we're crying out for the hallowing of the name of God, because Wherever God's name is hallowed, also those things wherein God's name is hallowed, those things are purified and lifted up. They're made the best versions of themselves that they can be. And so we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then last week we covered thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Now what we said about that was that when we cry out thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done, what we're asking is that the best dreams of God for humanity would come to pass in our midst, in our lives, the lives of our families, the life of our community, and the life of our world, just like they're done in heaven. And God's dreams don't cancel out the best hopes and dreams that we could have for our lives. In fact, what they do uh, is they correct those hopes and dreams, and they also perfect and complete those hopes and dreams so that the things that are closest to us, the things that are most deep in our hearts, would be brought to fruition in the coming of the kingdom of God and the doing of the will of God. Now, this week, in the next three weeks, we begin to pivot to the more concrete, practical concerns of our daily lives, and we see that even in this, there is a form of discipleship. Even in this, Jesus is trying to teach us something about the kingdom. Today, we're going to be in Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread, and before we get there, let's just pause our hearts for a word of prayer. And we cry out this morning, hallowed be your name, O God. That's what we're saying. We're asking that this place this morning would be holy ground. We're asking that the scriptures for us would be a walking through the countryside of the Spirit where everything is holy ground. We ask that the name would be hallowed. We ask that the kingdom would come. We ask that the will of God would be done in our lives through these words this morning just as they are in heaven. We ask Jesus Christ that you would be present among us as our teacher, as our instructor, as our helper, as our guide. We ask that where in anything we are off base, that you would correct us, reform us, transform us. We're asking that where we need encouragement this morning, that you would put encouragement in our hearts, that you would help us know that you are for us and not against us. As we said earlier, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And we thank you that Jesus Christ, you are the yes of God over our lives. And so we pray that we'd receive that this morning. We ask that as we open the scriptures that they would speak to us with fresh revelation and wisdom. We ask that the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, This then, Jesus says, is how you should pray. Verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Give us this day. Jesus teaches us to pray our daily bread. With this moment in the Lord's Prayer, starting in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11, we really pivot now into the concrete, practical concerns of our daily lives. And we could summarize those concerns with these three things. I think the next three requests really tell the tale. This is Jesus' way of talking to us about what is most important for us. And the first thing is provision. Give us this day our daily bread. So as we go from sort of the large concerns of God and His kingdom into the very concrete concerns of our lives, we're coming first into a sphere where we're asking God for provision. Hungry bellies need to be fed. Give us this day our daily bread. The second thing that we see in this kind of second half of the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus is teaching us to pray for and also, I think, work for clean relationships with one another. That's what I think forgiveness speaks to that we don't have this accumulation of bitterness or unresolved issues between us, but it's forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven 
uh, our debtors, people that have debts with us, right? So we're asking for a clean relationship with God, and we're asking for clean relationships with one another. So already now a vision of what's most important for human life is coming into focus, isn't it? It's that we'd, have, we'd be fed, we would have enough. It's that our relationship with God and with one another would be clean. And then the third thing is I would call it this, I would say that it's something like practical holiness. So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's about our conduct. It's about how we live. Jesus is teaching us to pray that we wouldn't fall prey to the evil one, that we'd be delivered from the evil one. So it's provision and clean relationships and practical holiness. Now we get into this verse here, verse 11, give us today our daily bread. And there are three words in that line that are just so pivotal. You can put the next slide up on the screen. It's today and it's daily and it's bread. And the Greek for this is Samaron, Epiusion, Arton. Today, daily bread. Samaron, Epiusion, Arton. Now, we've spent the last 2,000 years, the church has, really wrestling with these words and trying to locate the precise meaning of them. Some have speculated that what this means is it's sort of a way of talking about the bread of the future world, that that bread of the future world would come and we would be able to feast upon it now. Some people have speculated that daily bread, that word epiusion, that it means something like the bread of subsistence, like just enough to kind of get by. So maybe it's eschatological bread. Uh, maybe it's just enough to get by. And we've wrestled back and forth and we've done tons of work on these Greek words. And at the end of 2,000 years of research and investigation, do you know what we have discovered about these words? Do you know what they mean? They mean today and they mean daily and they mean bread. There's no fancy meaning here. There's no recondite, obscure something or other that we have to grasp for. The words mean what they plainly say. What we are asking for from the Lord is that He would give us this day our daily bread. Samaron epiusion arton, which means, you can put the next slide up on the screen, that just, I think it's so significant that Jesus fixes this as the first line of the practical concerns of our lives, daily bread, it would appear that our creaturely needs are a central concern of God's. And aren't you glad for that? Okay. There is a kind of false spirituality, I think, that parades around in the church. It has in different forms for 2,000 years that would say that God is not really interested in the practical needs of our lives, that God is more just kind of interested in our spirits. He's interested in us as spiritual beings, and the bodily stuff is kind of nasty in the first few centuries of the church. They called this Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a school of thought that basically said that the body was bad, material stuff was bad, the spirit, though, is good, and what God is really after is perfecting our spirits. He doesn't care that much about our bodies, and I do think that that finds expression in modern times too. When we refuse to talk about how God cares about the practical stuff, I think that we're caving in to a modern form of Gnosticism. And so that's one trap I think that we can fall into in our spirituality. But when we think about this line, give us this day our daily bread, I think that we can also veer into another trap. And that's the trap of thinking that, you know, because Jesus teaches us to pray this, give us this day our daily bread, that therefore God is interested that we would be blessed and wealthy beyond our wildest dreams, right? And so it's not just daily bread, but it's like huge mountains of 
bread. And so if we deny the material realities altogether, I think that we can also exaggerate them in ways that are like extremely unhealthy. I remember being in a revival meeting one time and one of the folks that was leading the revival meeting, this is like a three or four day revival meeting, and one of the folks that was leading it showed up the next morning and said, you know, guys, I just had a, I just had a dream last night and in the dream, I felt like the Spirit was really speaking. And in the dream, what I saw was that all of the people that are gathered here in this revival meeting, they went out into the city and all of the business owners of the city just flung open the doors. And all of you who are in this revival meeting, you just went in taking all of the stuff that you wanted or needed and you came out with like bags of stuff, you know, from these businesses. And I think that's a word from the Spirit to you this morning. And I remember sitting in that meeting thinking to myself, that is a word from some spirit. <laughs> but I'm trying to now remember what is the word that we would call that state of affairs in a city. Oh, that's right. It's anarchy. And it's been a while since I've checked, but I, I'm quite certain that the scripture is not in favor of anarchy, whether divinely inspired or not. There are exaggerations that we can fall into. And fortunately for us, I think the scripture's view of the matter, of how God cares for our daily needs, is much more balanced and it's much more wholesome than either of those things. Listen to what the psalmist says. This is Psalm chapter 84. The psalmist says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. And my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the what? Even the sparrow has found a home. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Don't you love that? But the psalmist says, how lovely is your dwelling place. Lord Almighty, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And even the sparrow has found a home. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty my King and my God, even this most insignificant of creatures, finds a place in the care and the concern of the Almighty. Psalm 104, verse 27, the psalmist says, all creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Think about that, guys. There has never been a bird that has eaten, but that God did not feed that bird. There has never been, there's never been an ox or a cow or a donkey or a dog or a cat that's been supplied with what they needed, but God did it. The grass is green because God is doing it. The trees are fruitful because God is doing it. We have life in our bodies because God is giving us life. God cares about the practical needs of all of his creatures. Can I get an amen? This morning, from the greatest of the creatures down to the least, all creatures great and small, the Lord our God has made them all, and he cares about each one of them. And Jesus knows this too. And understanding the perspective of the psalmist, Psalm 84, Psalm 104, and elsewhere, Jesus, just a little bit later in Matthew chapter 6, as he's talking 
about the practical needs of our lives. He says this. He says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at, he says, the birds of the air. Well, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why are you worried about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. And yet I'm telling you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, is he not going to much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't you worry saying, what are we going to eat or what do we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his and his and what? All these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Brothers and sisters, God is taking care of the birds. God is taking care of the grass of the field. And Jesus says, how will he not much more clothe you and take care of you? Don't you think that you're more valuable to God than birds? Don't you think that you're more valuable to God than grass? He gave the life of his son for you. The son of God took a body and bled and died for you. Don't you think that God is going to care for all of the practical concerns of your life? So don't, Jesus says, don't you waste any of your life on worry. By the way, it's a command. It's not like, hey, you'd be happier if you didn't worry. He's like, don't do it. Thou shalt not worry, the 11th command. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't tax your life, as Wendell Berry says, with forethought of grief. Why are you doing that to yourself? He's supplying your every need. He's filling your heart with joy. He's giving you everything that you could ever need to live in this life. So seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus says, in his righteousness. And everything that you need will be added unto you. Don't you worry about anything. Brothers and sisters, this is our God. This is what we've been called into. You can put the next slide up on the screen. As we are invited to trust God with the daily practical needs of our lives. Our hungry bellies matter to God. The clothes that we wear, it matters to God. That we have a roof over our heads, it matters to God that we're adequately sheltered and clothed. And to all of that matters to God. If it didn't, it wouldn't be in this prayer. We're invited to trust God with the daily practical needs of our lives. But right there is where we get kind of messed up in the head. <laughs> what really are the daily practical needs of our lives? And I think that one of the things that sometimes happens to us is we start doubting the goodness of God because we have an inaccurate assessment of what those daily practical needs are and we create expectations around what God is going to do for us that maybe God hasn't quite promised us and then we doubt the provision of God. When I was a high schooler, I was a pretty good student, took the ACT three times and uh, I did, because uh, I was trying to get this scholarship, right? And I got, I'm not going to tell you what it was and don't ask, okay, what my score was. It, it's irrelevant, all right? But I did okay. 
on the test. I took it three times. And I remember I was a school, I went to Oral Roberts University, and at the time, ORU was awarding really great scholarship based on your ACT scores. And so I was like one point off of getting the next tier of scholarship, which would have taken care of like a lot of my tuition. And so I just remember, you know, like I, I grew up kind of in the prosperity movement and all of that and tithing and giving generously and all that stuff. That's how you really like open up, like there's breakthrough is in that for you somehow. And so I remember what I did in thinking about this. I, I was able to get one more ACT st- test scheduled so I could get up to that next year. And I remember thinking, okay, how do I like really secure the best possible odds of getting a really good grade, you know, on this ACT test. One thing I can do that I can control is I'll just study my butt off. So all of the little prep exams and all that stuff, I'm going to work really hard and get myself mentally prepared for this ACT test. That's thing number one. But thing number two, you know what I can do? I can double tithe. That's what I can do. Now, I'd always tithe. My mom had me tithing when I was like five years old. But this, I decided to double tithe, which seemed dramatic for me as an act of faith. Of course, looking back on it, what did I make? 150 bucks a week or something like that, working as a waiter or whatever I did. So it went from 15 to $30 a week. Whoa, right? But I remember just, okay, that's what I can do. I'm going to study my butt off and I'm going to double tithe. So that's what I did for months. And then the day Actually, the day before the exam came and I felt myself just coming down. I became like feverish and chilled and all of that stuff. I had a bit of a dry cough, lost my sense of... No, I didn't. I had COVID before it was cool. I'm just... COVID jokes, calm down. (laughs) But I really did feel so miserable. And I remember going to sleep that night just feeling like, oh my gosh, like God, but I've studied so hard and I've been double tithing. Like you have to heal me tonight and I have to wake up feeling good and mentally sound because I know that you want me to get this scholarship. You've promised to provide me with daily bread. And I woke up that next morning and I felt more awful than the night before. I just terrible. And I remember sitting down at the table, opening that ACT exam. And I remember looking just page after page after page. And I thought, this may as well have been written in Russian. I, I... And what can you do at that point? B, C, B, C, (laughs) B, C. Just hoping that it would... The worst of the four! The worst of the four. I got the lowest score of any of the four exams I had taken. I remember just being so mad at the Lord. God, you've promised to meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I studied my butt off and I doubled tithe and I didn't get it. I was in full out panic mode. And I remember just being so gently but lovingly rebuked by the Lord. Yes, I have promised to supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Not all of your wants. (laughs) (laughs) not all of your desires. That's not what I've promised to supply you with. I've promised to take care of your daily needs. Moreover, it's your daily needs that I've promised to supply you with. You know what I was trying to do in that moment? And I know every person in this room can relate to that. What I was trying to do was I was trying to pull all of the bread that I would need for tomorrow 
and the next day and the next day and the next day into the present. Why was I doing that? Because trusting God for daily bread is scary. So if I can get all of the bread that God will ever give me in my life, maybe I'll never have to trust God again. Don't you know that that's what's inside all of it? When we're asking God for all of this, well, Lord, would you just bless me beyond my wildest dreams and help me win the lottery and all of that stuff, what we're doing without realizing it is we're asking to graduate from trust. And I don't know if you know this, but the whole nature of our relationship with God is trust. It's faith. So God is not interested in giving us things that cut the root of our relationship with Him. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're not asking that God would give us mountains of bread for tomorrow. Today, we're asking that God would take care of us today, daily bread. Give us this day stipulates the time and daily stipulates the amount. That's what we're being called to ask God for. You think about the great, in fact, when Jesus gives us this teaching here, I think that really what he's invoking is he's invoking that moment in the wilderness wanderings of Israel when they needed food to eat. And the scripture says in Exodus chapter 16 that all of this manna, remember that? appeared on the floor of the desert, miracle bread. And Moses said to them, they're all asking, what is it? And manna means, what is it? They didn't really know what it was. It's the bread of the angels, right? And Moses said to them, this is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord's commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for yourself, for each person that you have in your tent. And the Israelites did as they were told. And some gathered much and some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little didn't have too little. Everyone had just as much as they Guys, sometimes we just get so screwy in the head. We sometimes, yeah, every so often, we think, well, God is not taking care of my needs. Well, God hasn't really proven himself to be the provider in my life. God hasn't taken care of me. He's taken care of the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the grass and all that stuff, but he hasn't really taken care of, of question for you. Have you eaten today? then the prayer has been answered on your behalf. Question, are you sheltered today? Today. I'm not asking you about tomorrow. I'm asking about today. Are you sheltered today? Then the prayer has been answered with a resounding affirmative. God's yes is breaking into your life today. Let me ask you, are you clothed today? If you're not, I don't. By a show of hands, who's clothed? 100% of us. God did that. And don't you go negating the goodness of God in your heart just because you don't have all of the things that you think that you need. God knows what you need. And he's supplying all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He has no obligation to supply our wants. Not getting too many amens this morning. 
but he's got no obligation to supply all of our wants. And do you know that one of the testimonies of the scriptures is that sometimes the worst thing that God can do for us is give us the things that we want. Do you know that sometimes the best thing that God can do for us is to say no to our prayers? I'm not going to sell a lot of books, you know, preaching like this. <laughs> sometimes the best thing that God can do to us is actually say no to our prayers. And the worst thing that he can do for us is say yes to our prayers. Think about that moment later on in the history of Israel when they started getting tired of the manna. Do you remember this? Oh, we're so sick and tired of this manna. These wafers that taste like honey cakes or whatever. And they start saying, you can read about this in Numbers chapter 11. They start saying, oh, we wish we were back in Egypt. Because when we were in Egypt, we sat around pots of meat and we ate all that we wanted. Isn't it funny how quickly you forget how awful the past was? You did what in Egypt? You sat around eating pots of meat? No, you did not. That did not happen. Let me be the first to remind you that you were slaves in Egypt and Pharaoh was grinding your lives to a powder. You were not, it was not Shangri-La back there in Egypt, okay? We sat around eating pots of meat and they start complaining to the Lord. Lord, this bread that you give us every day that supplies our every need, this isn't good enough for us. We want something else. The Lord goes, no, you don't. He goes, they go, yes, I do. We want meat again. No, you don't. Yes, we do. We need meat. No, you don't. Yes, we do. We want meat. And you know what the Lord does? He gives them meat. And do you know what happens? They died with it between their teeth. It was diseased, plagued, poisoned meat. Maybe the worst thing that God can do for us is give us the things that we're asking for. Maybe sometimes the best thing that he can do for us is say, I know what you really need, so would you just come to me like children? Give us this day our daily bread and trust that each day, each moment, God is going to supply that for us. Can I get an amen from somebody in the house this morning? We're going to make the turn to communion with this. One question I think that the text does raise for us is what happens when we have more than our share of daily bread? What if we've got extra? But what happens then? And Moses goes on as he's telling this story in Exodus to say this. Moses said to them in verse 19 of chapter 16 of, Ex of the book of Exodus, Moses said to them, nobody is to keep any of the manna until the morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and it began to smell and Moses was angry with them. Nobody is to keep this until the morning. Why were they not supposed to keep it until the morning? Moses wants them and God wants them to stay in a place where they have to trust him continually for daily bread. And also, he wants to ensure that they're going to share the extra bread that they have with other people. And so, what does it mean when the bread of our lives becomes maggoty? I'd put it this way. You can skip a couple slides actually back there. Maybe our bread becomes maggoty when we no longer experience it as an act of communion with God and with other people. Maybe our bread becomes maggoty when we no longer experience it as an act of communion with God and with other people. 
Maybe God has not intended that we just hold on to our bread over here so that we don't have to trust God and we don't share it with other people. Maybe what God has intended with the bread of our lives is that we would experience it as an act of provision straight from the hand of God, and then we would open up the storehouses of our lives and make sure that all of those that are hungry and thirsty and crying out to God for daily bread would have daily bread from the hand of the Father through our lives. Remember that the prayer calls us to pray our Father who art in heaven. And then the line is, not give me this day my daily bread. But what's the prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. What if somebody is crying out to God for daily bread and you have it in your hand? What if the intent of God is that hungry bellies would be fed by the bread that's sitting in your hands? And when we understand this, then we begin to understand how the kingdom goes forward into the world. Remember, Jesus said that he was the bread of life given for the life of the world. When we are taken into the life of Jesus Christ, what happens to our lives? we become like bread given for the life of the world. And I am not here to shame anybody that has plenty. Thank God for plenty. Paul said, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. And I can say the same thing in my life. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. And between the two, I will take plenty any day of the week and twice on Sunday. <laughs> and with the plenty that's in my hands, I know that there is a moral and spiritual question that always hangs over it. What will I do with it? Will I experience it as an act of communion with God and an act of communion with other people? Or will I experience it as something that separates me from God and separates me from other people because it's just for me? That's the question that hangs over our heads. And when we come to this moment, the table of the Lord, one of the things that we're doing is one more time, we're laying our lives down, our strength, our provision, our energy down at the feet of Jesus. And we're saying, just as you were bread for the life of the world, so make our lives bread for the life of the world. Can we stand this morning? And Matt, would you find the prayer of confession? We're going to do that instead this morning. And I want you now to just begin to gather up your heart and gather up your energy before the Lord. And so, Lord Jesus, we're remembering how you taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And we're mindful of the fact that you have given yourself to us. Paul says it so beautifully. He says that how will our Father in heaven, not also along with Christ Jesus, graciously give us all things. You've supplied all of our needs. You've supplied all of our needs. And for that, we say thank you. And also, we want to allow you this morning to move upon our spirits, to move upon our hearts. We live in a country where there is so much. We have so much. And so this morning, we are asking for the invasion of your spirit in us in a fresh way 
that you'd help us experience the provision of our lives as communion with you and communion with those around us, especially those that are the most in need in our community. Would you move us to love you and to fear you and to serve others with what you've given us? And so we make this our prayer of repentance before you. We say, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And so we remember the declaration of the Scriptures over us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Brothers and sisters, if you can receive that this morning, would you give God praise? Lift up your hearts in thanksgiving to the Lord. We're going to sing this song in response, and then Pastor Colin is going to lead us to the table. Let's worship together.
Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Would you do that right now? Would you give God thanks and praise Jesus? The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. God, we give you thanks and praise. God, we thank you for this meal that you share with us, that you invite us to the table. And God, I thank you for providing for all of our needs. God, this morning we take this in faith. God, convict us where we are not trusting you with our daily bread. And we thank you for this meal, Lord, that represents this Lord's Supper that allows us to have communion, allows us to have communication, relationship, salvation through you. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let's receive the bread together. receive the cup together. Lift up your voice. Let's respond in worship today. You all are sounding good with that lately. Come on. Oh, our Father in heaven, hear the praise of the great congregation, the God from whom all blessings flow. We return your blessings back to you as praise. Would you open your hands and receive this benediction as you go, brothers and sisters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Oh, it's so good to be with you. If you need prayer for anything this morning, I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come forward. They would love to pray with you. Remember, if you're new, 
We have a compact disc for you. Uh, Connects on the way out. (laughs) Grab that. You are loved. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 